We are going book by book through the Bible. Today we are in the book of Proverbs. And every culture has its own Proverbs. We have Proverbs. And you're very familiar with them. And I want to prove it to you by letting you fill in the blank. All right? <laughs> a picture is worth a thousand. Actions speak louder than. Better safe than. Better late than. Don't count your chickens before they. Don't judge a book by its. Don't put all your eggs in one. The early bird gets the. Two wrongs don't make a. And I could go on and on. But I won't because all good things have to come to an. So I'm going to ask you to please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. And we're going to look at the biblical Proverbs today. If you're able, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. I'm going to begin by reading Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. This is the very inspired Word of God. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Father, we don't want to be fools who despise wisdom and instruction. And you say, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask and you will give it. So here we are asking for wisdom as we look at your word for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the Proverbs are a type of wisdom literature. It's, it's largely about becoming wise. And so I just want to ask and answer several questions about wisdom as we look at the book. First of all, let's ask this question. What is wisdom? We find the word wisdom 46 times in this book. The most common Hebrew word for wisdom is hakma, And it can have a connotation of skill. And so it's a good reminder to us, wisdom is not primarily, it's not solely intellectual, it's not solely knowledge, it's not solely knowing. It's a, it's a skill, it's about how to navigate life well. That's really what biblical wisdom is about. If you think about it, we make millions of decisions. I mean, think about how many decisions you've made today, you don't even think about it. What time do I wake up? What do I eat? What do I wear? How, where are we going? Where, how do we get there? You know, here, here's a comment. Here's a text. Do I respond? If I do respond, how do I respond? I mean, it's just, it's just endless. There's just an infinite amount of decisions and reactions. And most of them, most of them are not obvious, right or wrong. Mo- the vast majority of decisions we make are not right or wrong decisions. It's, it's largely wise or less wise. And, and, and most of the decisions we make, the Bible doesn't have a clear stated teaching explicitly. This is what you do in this particular situation. So we're just find ourselves in just an unlimited number of situations having to make decisions. And wisdom is knowing how to navigate these decisions. Uh, Robert Stein defines a proverb like this. A proverb is a short, pithy statement that expresses a wise general truth concerning life. 
So first of all, he says it's a short, pithy statement. It's usually kind of memorable. It's usually stated in a way that's, that's almost kind of fun. And I, I can't help but think about Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You just, you just can't help but, but hear that and just resonate with it. It's, it's a short, pithy statement. But secondly, a proverb is a short, pithy statement that expresses a wise, general truth. That's a good reminder to us. The Proverbs are not promises. The Proverbs are not laws. Um, Let let me give you an example uh, to to, to illustrate, to demonstrate that the Proverbs are really observations. Observations of life and how things normally work in life. For example, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, if you interpret that as a promise, then you say, look, if, if we just do this, it's, it's telling us we just raise our children right. They have to follow the right path all the way. Right? They don't have any choice in the matter. They have to. We've raised them right. It's a promise. It says it right there. If you do this, then this will happen. That's not how Proverbs work. It's an observation. So in general, if you tra- train your children well and discipline them well, in general, they're going to follow the right path. So that should greatly motivate us to train them well. But we still got to pray. And they still have to be wise. Like they still have to make the right decisions. right? And so the Proverbs are general observations. And therefore, there are exceptions to the rules. And when we experience the exceptions, it doesn't mean that they're not true. Because it's, an, it's a general observation. I, I want to demonstrate this by showing you two Proverbs that are right next to each other that are mutually exclusive. In other words, you either follow one or you follow the other. And if you follow one, you're not following the other. Listen to Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So let's say you're, you're dealing with a fool in your life. I'm sure none of you are dealing with fools in your life, right? You're dealing with a fool, and you say, which one is it? <laughs> do I follow verse 4 or do I follow verse 5? Do I answer the fool or do I answer not the fool? And if I, if I follow verse 4, I feel like I'm not following verse 5. And if I follow verse 5, I feel like I'm ignoring verse 4. What do I do? And my answer is, that's wisdom. <laughs> you got to figure out how to navigate life, right? And try to navigate it well. And every situation, every t- person, it's always, it's a little different. You know, I don't know the right answer for you. And the Bible doesn't give you the right exact answer. You know, so it's, it's difficult. It's about navigating life wisely. Right? Most decisions in life are like this. They're not clear-cut, obvious, right or wrong. And therefore, we should say, man, we, we really need wisdom, <laughs> Right? Like if this is what wisdom is, navigating life, and most of life is about decisions that the Bible doesn't clearly say, this is what you do and don't do, man, we, we need wisdom. I need wisdom. So let's ask this second question. How do we get wisdom? First of all, wisdom comes from God. The fear of the Lord is a phrase that you find 19 times in the Proverbs. And at least twice, the Proverbs tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, for example, Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So beginning here doesn't mean 
you begin there, but then you move on to something else. Like you begin with fear, but then you graduate from that and move on to something else. No, beginning here means it's fundamental. Fear of the Lord is fundamental to wisdom. It starts, it finishes, it ends with, with fearing God, honoring Him, recognizing He's the Creator and submitting to Him. This is where wisdom starts and finishes. Uh, and I think this is a good time to sort of pause and consider what's the relationship between wisdom, literature, Proverbs, and this theme that runs throughout the Bible of, of God the King. Because we've been saying there's the central theme that runs throughout the Bible, God's the King, and we're supposed to come under His rule. And some people will push back on that and they'll say, wait a minute, are the Proverbs about that? Is the wisdom literature about God the King and coming under His rule? And I would say, yeah, because wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. What does fear of the Lord mean? It means you recognize He's the King and I'm not. He's the creator. He's the designer. He's the king. He sets the rules. If you begin there, if you start there, if that's your starting premise, if that's your principle number one, he's God, I'm not. He sets the rules, I don't. He's the king. You are well on your way to experiencing wisdom in life. You just start there. He's God, I'm not. I want to submit to his rule, his ways. You are well on your way down the path of wisdom. And if you just keep coming back to that over and over and over, you will be well on your way. I want to contrast this thinking with the wisdom of the world. What does the wisdom of the world say? The wisdom of the world doesn't say, God is king, submit to him. Wisdom is found there. The wisdom of the world says, you're the king. You get to be the king of your own little world. You get to be the queen. You decide what's best for you. You decide what's right for you. The world revolves around you. So you decide. Don't let anybody else speak over you. You don't submit to anyone else. It's about you. And this, this thinking, this logic has reached an absurd point in the day we're living in. It's reached a point where the world will actually tell you, you know better than your chromosomes. You know better than your own biology. Like your chromosomes may tell you X and X or XY, but you know better than that. So you do you. You do what's best for you. You're the king. You're the queen. And it's just sowing just irrationality. It's just nonsense. It's, it's, not, it's not wise. It's nonsensical. The world doesn't work like that. Everything in the world is... T- the world doesn't operate like this. This is nonsense. Right? And, and, and by the way, there are studies coming out that are saying people are experiencing enormously high levels of depression and sadness like we've never seen, especially among youth. And then we say, why? Why is that? Well, I, I have a, a thought Number one, it's a difficult season of life anyway. It's just challenging. It's tough. You're trying to figure out the world. You're trying to figure out yourself. How do I fit in here? And now on top of an already difficult season of life, we're telling kids things like, you know better than your own biology. And you just do you. You do what seems right to you. You do what feels good to you. And they're hearing messages like, homosexual relationships are equal to heterosexual relationships. In fact, they're actually, they're actually hearing more of the homosexual relationships being celebrated than anything else. Like they're hearing and seeing celebration of, of what goes against nature. It's not, it's not wise. It doesn't lead to flourishing. It doesn't lead to happiness. And then we stand back and say, I wonder why they're depressed. I wonder why they're confused. I wonder why there's so much depression and sadness. It's just it's confusion, and it's, it's an absence of wisdom. If the Bible is correct, 
that there is a creator and he created us and we owe our existence to him. If this is true, then that means necessarily there's a certain design in his creation. There's a certain fabric. And wisdom recognizes this. Wisdom is looking for this. Wisdom says, there's a creator, it's not me. I'm supposed to submit to him, so I want to live in this world and try to navigate this world trying to follow that wisdom of the creator. That's what what biblical wisdom is all about. When we moved to Colorado Springs, just like when you move anywhere, you kind of have to learn your way around. And it's not easy to find your way around a decent-sized city, and especially when the roads do all kinds of turning and curving and you know, they're not straight. And uh, we learned that it's a lot easier to navigate the city in the day than at night, which is probably true regardless, but especially because we could see this big mountain over here, Pikes Peak, and we, it's, like, it's like you've always got a built-in compass. Instead of the compass pointing north, you've got a compass, there's west. And no matter where you are, no matter how lost you might be, you can just look to the west and you kind of somewhat know generally where you are and where you're supposed to be. And in the same kind of way, in, in the in life we live in, there's kind of a built-in compass. There's a built-in Pikes Peak. There's a built-in north. And it's, it's there. It's in nature. It's in the world. It's within even because God created us in his image. We live in a God-created world. We live in a God-designed world. And, and wisdom and navigating life well in order to enjoy life and flourish in life requires that we start with the fear of God and we, and we end with the fear of God and we live with this reality. He's God, I'm not. Flourishing wisdom, common sense is found in living in that reality. So first of all, we, we, we get wisdom from God. But second of all, we have to Seek wisdom and desire wisdom. You have to search out wisdom. I want you to look at Proverbs 2, 1 through 5 with me. And I just want you to notice this language of of like crying out and searching for wisdom in order to, to get it. Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. In other words, you can't be passive. You can't just sit there and expect to become wise. You got to get it. You got to search for it. It's like a treasure. It's like silver. You got to go after it. You know, you have to be like a student. I need wisdom. I'm searching for wisdom. And I don't think it's any coincidence that the image here and the image throughout the Proverbs is largely a father talking to a son. Son, you need to pursue wisdom. You need to follow wisdom because the jury's still out. We're not sure, right? Like, which, which path are you going to take? So the father's calling the son to take this path of wisdom, which, which is a good time to mention that there are generally three types of people in the Proverbs. There's the fool, there's the wise, and there's the simple. Right? And the fool is marked by his, he doesn't need wisdom because he's already wise. The fool doesn't have humility. He doesn't say, oh, I, I need help. Because he says, I've already got this. I already know all the answers. That's what makes him a fool. He thinks he knows everything and doesn't think he needs any help. 
For example, Proverbs 26.12, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 16.18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So one mark of, of wisdom is humility. You know you're talking to a wise person when they're humble. It's not a false humility. It's a genuine humility. Like, I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm still a student. I still need to become more and more wise. The simple person is the person for whom the jury is still out. We don't know which direction are they going to go. They may take the path of the fool. They might take the path of the wise man. And the father's calling the son. Son, come on. Pursue wisdom. I'm encouraging you to seek it. And the wise person learns how to seek it. And as you seek it, you desire it more and more. It's kind of a natural thing that happens. Listen, for example, to Proverbs 2.10. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. When you're on the path of the wise, you gain an appetite for wisdom. You're like, I want more. And it becomes pleasant, and you, you hunger for it. You, you thirst for it. And by the way, it becomes a part of your character. You become, you start to become a wise person who, who starts to know how to navigate life well. And, and by the way, guess what? One of the characteristics of a wise person, you're going to want to surround yourself with other wise people. Listen to Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So I want to take this opportunity to encourage especially younger people to gravitate toward people who are wise. You can tell, you can see, you can observe who are the wise people. I need to spend time with them. I need to learn from them. I want to surround myself with wise people. I remember a song from several years ago. If we walk with the wise, we will be wise. You know, I've noticed it during the times, seasons of, of the year, when I try to eat healthier and be healthier and be disciplined and exercise, uh, I, I've noticed that I usually, the more i disciplined in eating, the more I want to eat good stuff, healthy stuff. And the more I'm kind of off the wagon and, and not being healthy, the, the, the less I want to eat fruit, for example. Like I have no appetite for fruit when I'm kind of off the wagon and eat whatever I want. And my thought is, if I have a choice, I'll just eat chocolate, right? Like, it's an easy decision. Like, I could eat fruit or I could just eat chocolate. And that's usually what I do. Unless I'm trying to be disciplined and healthy and usually training for Pikes Peak, something or other. And when I kind of get in the habit of eating healthy, I actually realize that I start to kind of crave it. Like, I, I want fruit. When I'm eating anything I want, fruit doesn't really sound that good. But when I'm trying to be disciplined and trying to be somewhat healthy, fruit actually kind of sounds good. And I eat it. Man, that's really good. It's God's natural candy. And it's good. And I want more. You kind of crave it. The more you eat healthy, the more you want to eat healthy. And the, and the junk actually kind of sounds like junk. You're like, I don't really want to eat that. But there's a discipline that's involved. It doesn't just happen naturally. It doesn't just naturally happen. You kind of have to train yourself for it. And in a similar way, you have to train yourself for wisdom. Like, I, I want this. I need this. And even when I kind of don't want it, I know it's what I ultimately need. So wise people will seek out other people for advice. And, of course, they'll try to seek out people who are wiser than them. And when you seek out wise people for advice, there's one part of you that kind of goes, man, I know what he's going to say. I know what advice she's going to give me. And then there's a part of me that doesn't really want to ask because I kind of know. Right? So there's a part of me that doesn't want to hear what's the wise thing to do here. 
But then there's a greater part of me that says, but that's what I need. That's what's what's healthy. That's what I need. So I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to ask for advice. I'm going to ask for wisdom, knowing that what I hear is probably what I don't want to hear, probably not what I want to do, but it's ultimately what I want. You prove what you ultimately want by what you ultimately do. And a wise person is willing to go to other people who are wiser and ask for help and input even when it's difficult. Deep down, we become wise by seeking wisdom and seeking it like a treasure. And let's ask a third question. What are some examples of wisdom? Because so far we've been fairly theoretical, so I want to get real kind of practical since wisdom is practical. And there's several topics that just kind of keep coming up over and over and over through the Proverbs. And I'm just going to highlight several. The first one is this uh, topic of sexuality. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because in two weeks we're in the Song of Solomon. And we'll spend pretty much all our time there. And I know we're all looking forward to that in two weeks from now, right? (laughs) Let me just highlight a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 5.18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Proverbs 5.20, Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? There's wisdom in rejoicing in the wife of your youth. There's foolishness in going after the forbidden woman. There's foolishness in going after the forbidden man. There's wisdom in learning to rejoice in the wife of your youth. That's where you'll find happiness. That's where you'll find flourishing. That's the way the designer designed it. Rejoicing in the wife of your youth. I don't think it's any coincidence that foolishness is personified in the Proverbs as a prostitute. You want to avoid foolishness. You want to avoid the prostitute. You want to avoid the the forbidden woman or the forbidden man. It's just just foolish. It's wrong and it's foolish. Another theme in Proverbs is this theme of speech. And the main point is this. We're not supposed to talk too much. Which I realize is kind of ironic that none of you are talking and I'm doing all the talking and I'm telling you we're not supposed to talk very much. But I'm trying to be faithful to God's word. So here we go. Proverbs uh, 10.19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 17.27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I like Mark Twain's twist on this proverb. Mark Twain said, Better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you are a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. (laughs) Proverbs 29.20 Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. I think James summarizes all of this very well. James is sort of the wisdom literature in the New Testament. And James says, be quick to listen Be slow to speak and be slow to anger. And I think maybe a helpful image here is to think about a a timer, a clock. When when in chess they have a timer, which my understanding 
after your move, you hit stop, and your, your clock stops, and your opponent's clock starts going. And after they go, they stop it. And so I think it's helpful to think like this. When you're having a conversation with someone, what percentage of the time are you doing the talking? What percentage of the time is the clock running, your clock running? And what percentage of the time is your clock stopped and the other person's running because you're listening to them? Right? And if you're always doing all the talking all the time in all the conversations, what does that say? What does that say? What do the Proverbs say about that? You can kind of tell when you're talking to somebody and they're not really listening to you because they're just sort of formulating what they're going to say in response. I, I, I don't like talking to people like that. You're not really listening to me. You're just, you're just going to tell me how this, what, what this has to do with you. Right? So, for example, you might say to someone, I, I lost my dog today. I'm really sad. I'm really disappointed. I lost my dog. And the person, oh, I lost my dog three years ago. Well, it's not about you. It's not about your dog. I'm sitting here sharing with you my pain. Can you just feel the pain with me? Can you just hear me for a second? So here's the point. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Another topic that comes up very frequently in the Proverbs is work and laziness and wealth and poverty. And the Proverbs promote working hard and they criticize laziness. So listen, for example, to Proverbs 6, 9 to 11. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an unarmed, like an armed man. So the point is this. Don't sleep too much. Instead, work hard. And if you do, you'll eat. That's the point. Listen to Proverbs 28, 19. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Work hard. Don't follow worthless pursuits, and you'll eat. And I just want to remind us once again, these are observations. These are not promises. There are exceptions to the rule. There are some people who don't have much, and it's not because they're lazy. There are some people who have a lot, and it's not because they work hard. Right? There's some people who have a lot, and it's not because they work rightly. Right? The Proverbs are really clear about working rightly, having just scales, uh, working uh, righteously, uh, fairly, justly. Proverbs twenty twenty one says, An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. So the Proverbs warn against getting rich quick, getting rich easy, quickly, easily. I think the Proverbs would warn us against playing the lottery, for example. What's the goal of the lottery? Get rich quick without having to do any work. Right? And by the way, in the Proverbs, getting rich is not the goal. A wise man realizes in life the goal is not necessarily to get a bunch of wealth. Proverbs 23, 4. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. The Proverbs also talk about earning money so that you can bless others and give it to others. Listen to Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. You knew I had to reference that proverb, right? especially if we're talking about a potential building uh, project. Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all your produce. 
Here's a good summary from the Proverbs. Give me one summary of how I should think about wealth. Listen to Proverbs 30, 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. That's an interesting prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Think about how many people are miserable in life because they were lazy and they squandered what they were given and they don't have and they're miserable. And I want you to also conversely think about how many people are miserable in life because they're going after everything. They're going after wealth with everything they have. I just want to be wealthy. I just want to have a lot of money. As long as I have a lot of money, I'll be happy. How many wealthy people really seem happy? How many wealthy people have enough wealth? You observe the, the wealthiest, and most of them don't seem real happy. Right? So, so biblical wisdom says to avoid both of these worldly views. One worldly view is to, to, to squander and to be lazy and to not work. But another worldly view to avoid is this idea that I'm going to give everything I have 100% to just earning a bunch of wealth and then I'll be happy. And it's just a false narrative. The biblical wisdom says work hard and therefore earn money in order to eat. And if you work hard, you'll eat. There are exceptions. Right? And so therefore, those who have, they ought to be you know, gracious with what they have. Because um, there are exceptions. But the goal is not to gain as much as possible. The goal is not to gain as much as you can. Listen to Proverbs fifteen sixteen: Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. This brings us now to ask this fourth question. What are the benefits of wisdom? First of all, I want to mention there are some short-term benefits to being wise. It'll be good for you. It'll benefit you now in this life. Wisdom leads to blessing. It leads to joy. It leads to happiness. Uh, Think about, for example, if you were going to try to go into a maze and your goal was to get through the maze And imagine if the designer of the maze came up to you and said, Hey, here's a map I've designed to help you get through the maze. Wisdom would say, Thank you. This this sounds very helpful. I'm trying to get through. You're the guy who designed it. You've just given me instruction to help me navigate it. Thank you. A fool, on the other hand, would say, Ah, I got this. I can do this. I can navigate this. Okay. The designer's offering you help. (laughs) The creator of the maze is telling you, here you go. Don't you think there's some benefits in listening to the designer? Don't you think there's some benefits in listening to the creator? Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied, and he will not be visited by harm. I think the life he's referring to is life here and now. You'll rest. You'll be satisfied. You won't be visited by harm. Now, once again, we're not health and wealth, prosperity, gospel preachers around here. There's exceptions. There's some people who pursue wisdom, and and they still experience harm. Job is a great example. Right? So it's not a promise. It's not a law. It's an observation. Pursue wisdom. It'll go well for you. You say, wait a minute, if it's not a promise, 
If there's exceptions, if it's possible, I'm going to be disciplined and pursue wisdom and in the end experience life the way Job experienced it. I'm not sure I'm overly motivated to sign up for this wisdom. And I would respond and say, okay, but there's a long-term benefit to wisdom too. There's a short-term benefit that you'll likely experience. It's possible you won't because we live in a fallen world. But there's a long-term benefit that outweighs all the others. And if you understand this long-term benefit, surely you'll be motivated to pursue wisdom. What's the, what's the long-term benefit? The wisdom, wisdom literature tends to talk about two paths. The path of the wise and the path of the fool. And the path of the wise leads to life, ultimate life. And the path of the fool leads to death and destruction, ultimate death, ultimate destruction. Listen, for example, to Proverbs 14.12, and it's repeated in 16.25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. It's a very powerful proverb. There is a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. And Jesus uses the same imagery When he says the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. There's very few people on the wise, narrow path that leads to life. Most people are on the wide path that's easy. And and many people say it seems obvious to them this is the way and yet the Bible warns us it leads to death. The path of the wise leads to life, on the other hand. Listen to Proverbs 14.32. The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. The righteous finds refuge in his death. In other words, if you take the path of the wise, you're still going to die. But there's refuge in your death. How can there be refuge in death? If I die, I die. That's the end, right? No, there's refuge in death. How can that be? Well, we are, we are Christians and we read the Proverbs as Christians. And we know, uh, the, you keep reading the Bible, the Bible tells you why death can be a refuge. Because Jesus Christ has transformed death for us. So death doesn't have to be the end. Death, in some sense, is the beginning of, of real life, of ultimate life, life with Him. And I think this is why Jesus says something greater than Solomon is here. Because Solomon was great and had incredible wisdom and people traveled for miles to hear his wisdom and to see the the effect of his wisdom, the fruit of his wisdom. He was incredible. But Jesus said something greater than Solomon is here. Why? Because Jesus is wiser and has wiser sayings? Well, maybe partly because of that. I think that's true, but I don't think that's ultimately what he's getting at. I think what Jesus is getting at is he's not just a wise man with wise teachings. He is called the wisdom of God. The Bible refers to him as God's wisdom. The wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1.24, Colossians 2.3. Wisdom is personified in Jesus, and to know him is to know wisdom. And I think it's interesting that the book of Proverbs also personifies wisdom and talks about wisdom as a he, talks about wisdom as a person. Listen, for example, to Proverbs 8, 22 and 23. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work 
the first of his acts of old. Verse 23, ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. Verse 27, when he established the heavens, I was there. It almost sounds like wisdom is a person who was present at creation. That's really interesting. Does the New Testament speak about a person who was present at creation? Yes, it does. Listen, for example, to Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 19. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Proverbs teaches us wisdom is like a person who's been present since creation. And the New Testament tells us that person is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who is wise And he wasn't just present at creation. He was the one through whom all things were created because he's the son of God. He is God. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. He is God himself. And in God's wisdom, God chose when the creation rebelled, God chose to send his son, to send the wisdom of God to the fallen world in order to reconcile and bring it back to him right? by the blood of his cross through Jesus' death on the cross. And so what does this mean for us? Here's what it means. Even though every single one of us has failed, we've rebelled, we've gone down the path of the fool, every one of us has been a fool at some point or another. And every one of us at some point or another was on a path leading to destruction. The incredible good news is God didn't leave us there. He came to us in the person of Jesus, who is the wisdom of God, who laid down his life, for us so that we could be brought back to God and put on the path that leads to life. But, but how does this happen? How do I get it? You've got to recognize, you've got to, you got to recognize your own shortcoming, which re- requires a certain amount of humility and wisdom. I don't add up. I am on a path to death. You've got to cry out for Jesus. Just like the Proverbs talk about crying out for wisdom, you've got to cry out for Jesus trusting He is God's provision for your sin, that He died on the cross for you. And if you do, you will be brought back. You'll be reconciled to your Creator. You'll be brought back to the path that leads to life. And you will be on the path that that ultimately leads to eternal life. And so I want to be kind here. I want to say this really kindly. But but I want to also say it seriously. Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Are you on a path right now that leads to death? Don't be a fool. It doesn't have to be the end of the story. All you have to do is recognize. Humble yourself. Look to Jesus. Believe on Him. Trust on Him. God will forgive you. God will restore you to Himself. He'll restore you to the right path. And you will be on a path that leads to eternal life. What are you waiting for? Go to Jesus. Cry out to Him. Believe on Him. Be right with God. Be on the path that leads to life. Let's pray.